0: Weekly Signals. Join me, Mike Casper and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com.
1: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
0: Well, our show is very interesting. It's It's about the U.S. Patriot Act and about how this is, you know, some of the challenges that we've found in the privacy issues of the U.S., Patriot Act really are very challenging for kids because it's, it's we're seeing that American kids sometimes are being treated like terrorists under the U.S. Patriot Act. So we're going to be speaking with an expert on this, and I actually was looking at Radio TV Interview Magazine a few weeks ago, and I saw this right, you know, it jumped out at me, how ordinary American kids are being treated like terrorists under the U.S. Patriot Act. So, I am so thrilled that we have joining us from the Midwest, we have David L. Roberts. He's a PhD and a licensed psychologist with a master's in general psychology, an MS in administration, and a BA in literature with a minor in music. So, he's very well rounded, left brain and right brain. His varied educational background and work experience as a psychologist, businessman, and entrepreneur, writer, musician, and college professor give Dr. Roberts a very unique combination of both knowledge and professional diversity. And I have his two books sitting right in front of me that I spent time with, very interesting books. The first one sitting here that I'm looking at right now is called At the Mercy of Externals, and I think this was his first book, right? That's right. Mhm. Writing wrongs and protecting kids. And then his uh, companion book here is a psych Psyche-Solology, and this book was um, a provide. This one is a provides a true and tried system, or tried and true system of service of delivery to kids of all ages and circumstances and cultures, and dealing with kids who are underprivileged. He's done tremendous work with kids who are living in low income areas and disadvantaged kids, and showing that they can be successful just like anyone else. His theories and approaches have proven great successes across many cultural divides and for a great number of professions related to serving kids of all ages. You can learn a lot more about David at davidlrobertsphd.org. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a great opportunity, especially since I'm from Mobile, Alabama, but also lived in California for about 15 and a half years as well.
0: Right. So do you miss California?
1: You know I do. I really, honestly do. There's a lot of things that are different, obviously, between the Deep South and and the Far West. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely. It, I I don't think I would be back in Mobile if it wasn't for the fact that there were so many budget problems going on in uh, in California, especially during the 2004-2005 uh, period, right in there, and even I guess continuing through to today.
0: Yeah, it's it's a crazy time. Let's talk a little bit about your books. And let's talk first of all. You wrote a book called Psyche. Soulology, and that's, right. that's a great name which is a companion to your first book at the mercy of externals writing wrongs and protecting kids so tell us about what inspired you to write these books and, and how did you conduct your research
1: well I'm as you can see I have a, a pretty broad education and I kind of laugh and tell people that it just took me a while to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up um but I finally found my niche once I got into actual clinical psychology um I had a real determination and a, and a real real strong need to understand everything that I could possibly understand about human nature, partly because of my own experiences growing up as a child and understanding how bad it feels to feel bad as a child, that kind of thing, and also wanting to do whatever I could to try to help children in similar situations you know through the field of psychology as a professional so that's that 's how this all started. Um, And then going to California by by getting to know a lot of people in low-income areas and working with an actual international student body at the California School of Professional Psychology, where I graduated from, it was just an amazing experience coming from the Deep South and being exposed to so many different cultures and realizing that we have a lot of commonalities in addition to the things that sometimes divide us.
0: Right. So how did you conduct your research?
1: Um, the research was primarily just um, just working one on one with kids and families. I don't have an awful lot of statistical data. Um, I did create a what I call the Roberts Grief and Loss Analysis Scale uh, when I was in both my master's program in psychology and my PhD program in clinical psychology, and that was research based, obviously, for my thesis and for my dissertation. And the Grief and Loss ana- Analysis Scale primarily focused on um, losses associated with dysfunctional backgrounds. So my focus has forever been on children and and dysfunctional family kinds of issues. And a lot of that based in family systems theory relative to psychology as well. So um, the research started primarily through the grief analysis scale, and then basically somewhat anecdotally as I have um, had the experience of working directly with these kids and families and then writing down what I was learning basically from the kids. I don't have any actual numbers. Uh, I can give generalities in terms of numbers, but not specific research results um, other than what I can just tell you as far as successes.
0: Right. Well, that's the success. The proof is in the pudding, right?
1: (laughs) It is. It really honestly is. One of the reasons that that I set up my own private practice here in Mobile was that I was working for Riverside County Department of Mental Health, and it was a very reputable system in Riverside County, uh, but suddenly the pop- population, I was working almost exclusively with gang kids and juvenile offenders in the desert around Palm Springs area. and They decided because of budget problems that they were going to basically cut services or strictly limit the services to that population because there was nothing proven to work for them. So my mission literally from this point forward or from that point forward is to set up a program where I can begin to do data collection and implement the theories and have a model-based practice that I can control in the sense of how I want it to to be run and how I want the research to be conducted um, so that's where I'm headed now is to try to create the evidence-based treatment that I was told in California no longer uh, or didn't exist and was told that I could no longer continue working with the population that I'd been specifically trained to serve.
0: Well, you you know, life takes us on different paths, but I'm sure all that great experience has been wonderful for you. you know, it has
1: been, yes. And I've had to learn once I got back to Mobile that Mobile clearly is not California. Um, and, you know, there, there are a lot of dynamics that are – obviously becoming more, more out in the open as far as racial issues and socioeconomic issues with, uh, with the current political situation we have in this country. But um, I don't want to get too much into politics or anything like that, but right. um, it's, just, it's a matter of trying to, to figure out what we can do to serve the people who need the services the most and the people who are the most vulnerable in society.
0: Well, Let's talk a little bit about the U.S. Patriot Act. You know, after 9-11, there was such a fear that uh, Congress ov- obviously went to, to work on security and right, that whole right. balance of security. I mean, I know that their heart was in the right place thinking, sure. oh, my gosh, we have to keep people secure. We can't have This kind of terrorism in our lives However, they were in such a hurry That they really didn't stop to think About a lot of the privacy issues And on the show, we've talked about the privacy issues Of the Patriot Act And, you know, when they reenacted it And they reconfirmed it And scary stuff going on But let's talk about How the U.S. Patriot Act Led to abuses of of power and authority Why don't you give a little background For our listeners
1: Well, the People are really kind of amazed at what I know, but it's all available through the Internet. There's nothing that you can't find about the U.S. Patriot Act uh, without simply going online and you plug in the terms U.S. Patriot Act and domestic terrorism. And there's some very shocking things that will be revealed in article after article after article. Because, unfortunately, in addition to trying to help us remain secure within this country, it also became a huge power grab. especially for law enforcement, and I'm talking about all branches of law enforcement. And the two main goals that you'll find online, and this is all information that I've gained from uh, the Internet and from research that I've done on this, but the two main goals were to enhance the power and authority of law enforcement and protect them with a veil of secrecy. The U.S. Patriot Act also made uh, any criminal code on the books a potential act of terrorism if it represents any threat to life or property, which means that virtually any violation of any law solely at the discretion of law enforcement can be interpreted as a potential act of terrorism. And it's through those kinds of unchecked uh, or a system of, that has no checks and balances whatsoever under those kind of guidelines, that privacy does become a huge issue uh, relative to simply search and seizure and uh, privacy relative to records and to phones and, and, and communication devices. Surveillance. It is just what yeah. can be done.
0: Yeah, all the surveillance that can be done. So what is the impact really at the local community level relative to you know these kinds of possible power abuses and abuses of authority
1: well i think the average citizen talking about middle-class families and up uh, middle-income families and up, most people are not impacted by this so they don't really seem to care that much but when by working almost exclusively with low-income kids and families since nineteen ninety two and my practice here in mobile um, is primarily medicaid based so that's all i do here in mobile um, it's, it's heartbreaking to see how so many of the kids, especially the adolescent groups that I've worked with in California and some to some extent here in Mobile, they're, they're targeted. And behind the scenes, this is, this is where I gained a lot of this information, too, in California especially. Um, law enforcement will talk openly about what they can do and what they can get away with, and they're assuming that everyone within that range of hearing is also thinking the way that they do. And they make silly, just stupid statements, things like, I know there was an, a police officer that um, in Juvenile Hall one time that I heard literally talking about one of my kids that I was working with, um, said that either dead or locked up, either way, he's off our streets. And what I found in the desert especially, that's the, the most experience I had working directly with um, gang kids and juvenile offenders. Was that the police would target the kids? They would harass them under suspicion of gang involvement or under suspicion of criminal activity to the point that they could eventually provoke these kids into committing crimes that would then allow the police to uh, to arrest them. And it, they just simply didn't care. It's, it's again, it's that system without any checks and balances and no outside scrutiny.
0: Right. So shouldn't there be more training for law enforcement themselves so that they have uh, more of an enlightened attitude? I mean, you know, I mean, you can work with the kids, but if you're going to have this attitude of law enforcement that you're talking about, and I'm sure it's not everybody's like that. You know, I I know a lot of people are not like that. And, you know, I'm a sheriff reserve here in Orange County, and I know these a lot of these guys. And I do these Orange County Sheriff news and safety tips. and, And I know a lot of them are they've. They're they doing a lot of great work with gangs. Exactly. But those who are not thinking, you know, straight. <laughs> right. What about what about training them?
1: Well, I, they don't seem to be interested in that because the um, my theories in my first book, especially the uh, at the mercy of externals, there's a model that I use and it has to do with how negative, like complicating factors, impact the lives of children. Um, I always start out with the reality that none of us choose to be born, and none of us choose the parents we're born to or the circumstances we're born into either. So it's a matter of trying to help law enforcement agencies and officials understand that it's not just about behavior, it's about other things that play into that behavior for children. I believe very firmly that kids have to be held accountable for what they do wrong, But children are different than adults. Their personalities haven't been set yet. So it's possible to intervene in a respectful way with accountability attached to that and at the same time give them the opportunity to to want to make changes in their lives so that they can recognize their true potential rather than continue heading down the paths that they're currently on.
0: So give us some examples of some of your success. I think that would be really much more clear for my audience to understand. Because remember, we're sitting here on the campus at the University of California, Irvine. So we have young think people. I it's incredible
1: that we're doing a, a campus-based uh, yeah. radio show. This is, yeah. this is really cool.
0: Right. And, and, you know, there are people here on campus who are going to be teachers. They're going to be so- sociologists, psychologists. They're going to do research we also have you know all of the community members that can listen and a lot of our law enforcement people listen into because i have sure. my orange county sheriff news and safety tips so you know um so let's let's talk about some of the successes that you've had and how it works and what you do
1: probably one of the the biggest successes that i had and i had to be careful not to give away too much information here because this was obviously um, a case that i worked with uh as a psychologist but there was a young man uh, that I worked with in the desert, and I worked with like probably about 1,600 total before I left. And he was notorious <laughs> relative to his reputation as a gang member. And I, w- I would interview the kids to some extent somewhat carefully because I didn't want to put myself in danger, first of all. I didn't want them to tell me things that at some point they might regret uh, revealing to me. But this one particular kid, I always always ask kids to tell me what they were called in the streets, whatever their moniker or their gang name, whatever, whatever they were called in the streets. And I did that as a way of testing whether or not they trusted me. And I can honestly tell you that even to this date, I have never had a kid get up and walk out of my office mad at me. I've had a couple of kids that weren't ready to work on their stuff, but I've never had a kid get up and walk away from me mad. And this one particular kid told me his name. And it was a Spanish name, and I recognized the term, and I kind of translated it in a funny way to suggest that it you know, it just kind of it, – it was a joke. And at first, because I laughed at his name, I wasn't, it was just – it obviously was a funny kind of tale. He finally recognized that it was just funny because he kind of bristled when I did that. And he was just that kind of impulsive sort of kid. He was always ready to do all kind of stuff, probably. And the fact that I, that I even dared to, to, to seem like I was making fun of his name was a big thing for him. But that kid, because of the rapport that we established on a on frequent basis, this was at a, a school site that I was seeing him, um, he eventually gave up the gang culture as much as he could. He basically had apparently put in what they call work, enough that he was respected, that they weren't really, you know, looking to him to do much more than what he apparently had already done, and I don't even know what all that means. But um, this kid went on, he was, uh, uh, when he started his junior year in high school, he excelled in sports. He graduated uh, two years on time in his senior year, um, and didn't graduate with honors, but graduated with really, really good grades to the point that people were just shocked at what he was able to do. And as he walked across the stage, and the principal announced his name, everyone in that stadium stood up and cheered. cheered. I was there, and it was one of the most proudest moments I've ever had in my life to realize that he was getting his diploma. He then went on to join the military, and from there had a very successful career in the military, and probably is still doing that same kind of thing. But he was just—it was—it was an amazing experience to be able to work with him uh, one-on-one in a way that he saw that I respected him as a human being. I didn't condone what he was involved in, but I was also by being respectful to him and allowing him to be to who he was to a certain extent. I got to know him in a way that he saw that I cared about him. And by doing that, I was able to reach him in a way that he could make the choice himself to make changes in his life because it was simply in his own best interest to do so.
0: Right. So the caring and the respect that 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 helps the kids to kind of get more clear about who they truly are at their gut level
1: and a lot of people especially people in positions of power and authority they have a tendency to talk down to kids and you know i guess you know i'm 56 years old and you know that was the culture when i was growing up that you never talked back to an adult but and I don't know that that was good necessarily, um, but kids nowadays, they're a little bit smarter than that. They know that they have an opinion and that to some extent, if it's a, uh, expressed appropriately, they should be able to do that. And that's one of the things that I allow kids to do with me is to tell me what they think. You know, and I, you know, first of all, as a psychologist, I'm obviously in a neutral position. I'm not in a position of power and authority. But anyone who is in that position only needs to, to re- re- retain that sense of control um, when control is sort of out of balance. Yeah. Once that is has been stabilized again, then you can go back to a little bit more respectful, not even kind of level, but a little bit more open kind of level where you can interact with kids on a reasonable basis and let them know they'll look okay, I have a job to do, but at the same time I still care about you and I try to I want to try to do what I can to help you, you know, make some, you know, some better changes and better choices in your life before it's too late.
0: We are speaking with David L. Roberts, PhD, who is a licensed clinical psychologist with an MS in general psychology, an MS in administration, and a BA in literature. And he is, has a music minor as well. And he's the author of two wonderful books that I have sitting right in front of me. The first one is called At the Mercy of Externals, Writing Wrongs and Protecting Kids. And then this subsequent book, which is the companion, is Psych Soul psychology and this is this book talks about how it's an inspirational approach to appreciating and understanding troubled kids you know what i keep thinking about david is you know there is so much violence on television so much violence in these games that they play all the time and this is the kind of role models you know I I taught for many, many years. I taught elementary school and high school, and then I went back to law school, and I have worked with kids. And I just wonder why in the world people would think that we're going to have much different when we have all that violence that seems to get all of the publicity on television and these video games. You know, does that hit you in the same place that it hits me? It just seems like, you know, role, the modeling is so powerful. It's like, you know, don't, don't tell me what to do. Show me what to do. And what we're showing them in the movies and showing them on TV is violence.
1: Exactly. Well, and and also disrespect and disregard for other people as well, because if you, you know, some of these movies, like the jackass movies, I mean, that's all about practical jokes and just doing crazy stuff that, I just don't find funny, but, um, and, but unfortunately, a lot of people do, especially people that are playing pranks on other people. Um, you see a lot of videos that go viral on YouTube and other, other uh, Internet kind of, kind of programs or, or websites, rather, um, where people are getting beaten up. People are being humiliated. They're being attacked and disgraced in different ways, and a lot of people will go on and watch that again and again and again, and just become a, even become a fan of it, you know, on like Facebook. So it it's alarming to me that people have very little regard for each other. Um, and we they're don't, desensitized. None of us want to be treated like that, but we don't mind treating other people that way.
0: And they're you know they're desensitized, yeah. and yeah. they they're they're made to be, you know, very uh, uncompassionate, you know, they're just not compassionate because they think, you know, you see somebody dying on the screen and okay, so that's a big deal. You shoot them and they're dead. I mean, I I really think, obviously I I believe in the first amendment. So people have a right to make these movies, but I'm just wondering about why we are, not doing something that's really cool that is the opposite of that you know so that kids get more attention and and get more motivated by something that they're doing really cool stuff you know what i'm saying that's really positive things you know
1: but they don't seem to be interested in that and i mean if you look at if and i think this again comes into play with with abuses of power and authority to some extent because we have a lot of people in positions of power and authority who abuse that and, and they get exposed for doing so. And I think that sends a message to, to many kids and even young adults that it's okay to do whatever you want to do as long as you don't get caught. And so that I, I refer to people and the society being somewhat morally bankrupt now, and that has nothing to do with any particular class or socioeconomic level. That just kind of seems to be across the board that more and more people are willing to compromise their morals and values for the sake of God only knows what Just and, and, and with the idea that it's only, it's only illegal if you get caught or only wrong if you get caught. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the violations and of privacy and civil liberties that are that seem to be sanctioned at the upper levels that you're talking about. Right. You know, um you know the government seems to be looking at that, you know, the the kinds of abuses at the state and local levels. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that because you you keep talking about the trickle down.
1: Right, you? exactly. That, that. That's exactly that's exactly what it is. It's a trickle down effect, and anything that happens at the federal level always trickles down to state and local levels as well. And that's one of the things that's <laughs> happened with law, with law enforcement, um, because even local law enforcement officers, there are some that are really good, and some that do not buy into the sense of harassing and abusing their power and authority. But there are others that that look uh, that act in the opposite manner and get away with that, and and it's because of that sort of brotherhood or fraternity, sorority kind of situation where you have obviously male and female police officers nowadays, but, um, but they cover for each other, so nothing ever gets exposed. They're, not, they're afraid of repercussions. They're afraid of threats to their job. For the people that are doing the right kind of thing, they're almost afraid to step forward and, and report abuses of, those power, of power and authority in a way that it makes them look bad and it makes them feel like um, they get shunned. They, get, they sort of get blackballed among their own, their own groups.
0: Well, what we've had happen... Okay, what we've had happen here in Orange County, though, is we've had a lot of exposure of these kinds of abuses that you've talked about. You know, our, our sheriff actually was indicted, you know, and we've had different sheriffs who, sheriff's deputies who have been arrested recently. A lot of this stuff is coming out, and part of it is, you know, it's kind of interesting about the privacy and the surveillance, but now that people can have videos on their, um, you know, on, on their cell phones. <laughs> Right, right. That um, they can't say this didn't happen. You know, we've had lots of trials <laughs> going on. So, I mean, we're talking about the the beauty and the burden of the surveillance lifestyle that we've got, where everybody's got a video camera right in their telephone. So, I, yeah. you know, at least here, and I don't know about back there if it's still the good old boys, but that good old boy network is really breaking up here in Orange County, and that ethics is. Um, is becoming an issue because people are being prosecuted and people in law enforcement are being prosecuted because you you can't hide anymore.
1: Well, and hopefully that will not only trickle down, but it will trickle around because we still here in the South, especially here in Mobile County, it's just unbelievable. The fraternities and sorority groups literally that control a lot of things uh, for people in positions of power and authority, and they all cover for each other. Um, There's a lot of things where law enforcement gets away with things because of people being afraid to step forward here um it's just it's outrageous what people can do and again just simply because they 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 do it because they know they can and 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 it's it's good that we have all these devices because a lot that's a lot of the stuff does get exposed is for people just like turning on their video camera on their phone and going to let me catch this because i know this is going to be worth something someday you know for something at least if nothing to nothing but to expose somebody
0: yeah remember those big rodney king trials Remember that? And I mean, now everybody can can do this and they do. You know, I think, you know, it it probably is going to start in the bigger cities like, you know, trickle down to Mobile much later. But I think we are definitely seeing um, a real need for accountability uh, on what law enforcement is doing. There was a a really horrible story that you may have read about and it turned not only not only into a prosecution, but also a civil lawsuit in which. Um, a young girl was killed in a car accident and um, one of the highway patrol took a picture with his cell phone and then it ended up on the internet with this girl with her head cut off, you know, and it was so horrible. What Talk about a privacy invasion and what it did to the family and then these kids, the sisters and and, uh, family members, got, you know, saw this on the internet and it came on their own cell phones. It was really a horrible thing, but, you know, this... This guy is is going to have to face the, the music, all right, for doing it, probably going to get fired. And not only that, of course, because he did that, he is going through a civil lawsuit as well. Right. So I think the kinds of things that people are doing that thinking the veil of secrecy, they, they're, they're not going to get away with it anymore. I just think that they're going to be exposed as well. That I, I That's the good so. part. Yeah, that's the good part,
1: I think. Right. Because see, with even just this past week, um, they finally have announced that they're going to prosecute the uh, the law enforcement officials on uh, the bridge in New Orleans during right after Katrina, where there were a couple of people shot, a couple of people were killed, one or two people were killed, uh, but these were unarmed citizens that were just simply trying to flee from people that from from men apparently. That didn't identify themselves as police officers and just simply shot at them, mm. and 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 some of that, if I'm not mistaken, it seems like there was a video from a helicopter showing some of that occurring. Mm-hmm. But it's a known fact that all these people were were not were not armed. They were trying to get away from the flooding that was taking a place taking place because of the breach of the levees. But that was five years ago when Katrina happened, and it's just now you know going to 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 court and and going to be prosecuted um, the way it should have been from the very beginning. So. It It's taken a while, and I'm hoping that more and more. There's going to be so much damage that's been done, though, during this almost nine-year period now that we it, – it's going to be hard to undo. There are a lot of people that are locked up now as young adults who were provoked as children, especially in California. I know that the two capital murder cases that I'm involved in in, in Riverside County – um those I feel like the Patriot Act had a tremendous impact on that, especially with the kids that I knew that worked uh, that I worked with out in the desert. I have three kids in one capital murder case that are all from the desert and and there's no doubt in my mind based on what I know about what was going on in in two thousand one t- until I left in two thousand four that these kids were harassed possibly into getting deeper into the gang cr- uh, criminal activities because they were mad about being being picked on
0: right. Well, how are these abuses of power and authority carried out in conjunction with the taxpayer-funded programs, you know, and, and jobs such as schools? Well, the and- thing is
1: that it's it's become so closed in because um, I know I have, I have in addition to my private practice under the name of ProKids, Inc., and that's also ProKids, Inc. dot org, um, I have a program called Liberating Youth, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's going to become – and I'm in the process of really working – you know, dedicatedly to this process, but it's going to become um, the ProKids, Inc., the Counseling Redirection Support Services will continue to be part of that, but it's going to be an adult education program for transitional age kids. And it's going to, to focus on kids who have dropped out of high school and give them a chance to come in and at least be able to get either their GED or, or their diploma and some on-the-job training. But when I tried to apply for funding for that three years ago, obviously because I'm working independently of any agency, I got turned down, and I was simply asking for startup funding because the way I have this project set up is that ultimately it would become self-sustaining. Even though it's a nonprofit, it would still become self-sustaining because the business is associated with the school itself. So it's kind of aggravating because billions of dollars have been sent into law enforcement for... Uh, surveillance equipment and 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 protection gear and all this kind of stuff that in areas in many cases where we will never be attacked by terrorists but also juvenile justice and the justice system in general was able to get tons of funding for programs that they were sponsoring with no true accountability as far as I can tell uh, relative to what their outcome measures were going to be and that um, in that that in and of itself has taken a lot of money away from private in, um, Private uh, private sector kinds of um, ideas and plans that like mine that I don't know that I would ever get funded not at least not to uh, not anytime soon.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one because I know that our law enforcement agency here in Orange County, who tries to do good things with gang groups, you know, and tries to do um, community outreach. You know the money, their funds are cut back so much from the right, county. Right now. So, so yeah. recently,
1: they had done, almost unchecked funds, right?
0: Right, and you know, everybody's nobody's got the money, but it just seems like if you could go to some of these private foundations, you know, some of the corporations that want to do good work that, that right, right. want to do that, you know, and the other thing to do, and again, as a sheriff reserve here that volunteers for the sheriff's department for the past 10 years, I know at least here. If you are willing to volunteer and work with them, and you've got a good background, they can do their background check on you. You know they're they're happy to receive help. And if right. you start something um, and make friends with the people in the gang units, you'd be surprised because once they learn to trust you, just like the kids, once once they learn to trust you that you respect them as law enforcement people, then they'll take you into their their little circle as well and then maybe let you do some things and and let you do some free training for them yeah, that's what i've noticed it just takes a lot of time it's just well, a and lot it, of time and
1: it, and i think where you guys are where you're living right now they're a little bit more progressed like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. than we are here in mobile because they still see me as a threat because i'm a huge advocate on behalf of low-income kids and families and right. any form of injustice that i see Uh, That I know about, I speak out about that very openly, not in an an assaultive, like adversarial kind of manner, but in a way that I feel like, no, no, this, you, you, because what happens is that the people who are least able to defend themselves are the ones that unfortunately are the most frequently targeted. Right. And, And that gives them job security. They actually laugh about this. Here in Mobile County, behind the scenes, that, that those kids, literally those problem kids, represent job security for all of us. And that specifically came from a woman that works in the juvenile justice system here in Mobile. Mm. And because they know that I reported her for saying that, yeah. <laughs> along with other problems that we have in You're, our school yeah. district here with right. kids not being given the services that they need, right. then they, they, they respect me to a point professionally, but they don't want me to be in, then sort of in, within their inner sanctum. You know, and and violate that that kind of that space where they can all, you know, just live and breathe and have their being kind of, right. kind of thing, and, right. and not be thwarted by anybody.
0: Right. What about racial profiling, and you know how that came about, and how that's really. Um, you know racial being ra- racially profiled and targeted is really kind of a result of the Patriot Act let's talk a little well, bit about that it
1: is and it, rather than i've gone kind of away from racial profiling and focused more on almost exclusively on socioeconomic profiling because it doesn't seem to matter what color we are anymore uh, it's just that that it's easier to target low income families because i know even in california when i was living in in the desert in riverside county I would walk by. I had full access to the juvenile hall facility out there. I had a key. I had everything. Uh, But because I stood up against one probation officer and filed an abuse report on behalf of one of the inmates in that juvenile hall, I was banned permanently from that facility based on the fact that what they had, had handled internally was going to go public. Well, that didn't do anything to help the kids in that program. All it did was allow them to continue to do whatever they choose to do without any outside scrutiny. So it's, 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 an, it's a difficult thing to address, and it's not the, – the, the white kids, in the most, for the most part, or, or people middle class and up generally can afford attorneys. And most of the cases, those kids don't get locked up. It's the low-income kids that, that again, serve as job security because people can't justify programs or or even staff unless they can show that there are the numbers to back up that funding, especially when it's from taxpayer dollars. So there's there's that issue, which to me is more socioeconomic than it is simply racial anymore.
0: Right. What about the parents? Is there any way that you could – I know that you know the parents are struggling themselves, but – are, are, you know, uh, in these families, I mean, there's a lot of really good parents that do the best they can. But, of course, these kids get into gangs because that's cool. That's the peer group. But do you have any support from the families that, that want to get their kids out of gangs, that want to do something to help, but, you know, they don't have the money, but they they may have some time to do this?
1: Well, and I do have a lot of support. In fact, I met a family just recently that they're they're pretty much – probably middle to upper middle class and they were concerned about some behavior problems with their son who is about 15 I think. I just met him for the first time a couple weeks ago but they found out in the process of my interview with him that he is a gang member. He was what they call blessed in rather than jumped into a gang here in Mobile and they were shocked. They were absolutely shocked that this kid was able to do that right under, in front of their faces in their own home without any awareness on their part of what he had gotten involved in. And unfortunately for this kid, he was so naive that he was pulled into this without any true awareness of what the consequences were going to be. So in working with him, and this actually happened in, in a school setting where this occurred um, for high-risk kids. So it, 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 parents, a lot of times, they don't know. They don't know until it's too late. Uh, the extent to, to which their kids are involved in things like this. And all the cell phone devices and all the Internet access that people have, it's so easy, again, for kids to do the wrong things and worry more about getting caught than doing what's right, that parents are in the dark. A lot of parents, a lot of adults in general, we're in the dark uh, when it comes to what our kids are actually up to, this family, this mom and dad, were literally sick at their stomach. And this was a strong family. This was a very strong family, and they they were like planning a vacation. And they're like, well, we can't go on vacation now. And we were going to try to get you a car, but we clearly can't trust you. You know, even for your own safety. You know, for your own sense of your of risk factors for yourself. So we're gonna we're gonna have to crack down on you now so but if i hadn't sat there and asked those questions in the way and if i hadn't had the experience and training that i did to pick up on that with him they would have walked out of there without having any awareness and he would have continued to do what he was doing and eventually either get killed or locked up
0: oh goodness we're speaking with david l roberts phd who's a licensed clinical psychologist with a master's in general psychology a master's in administration a ba in literature and he's written two really wonderful books the first one is At the Mercy of Externals, Righting Wrongs and Protecting Kids. And the next one is Psyche-Soulology. And this one is An Inspirational Approach to Appreciating and Understanding Troubled Kids. What about the role of schools? What, you know, the kids are there, hopefully, if they don't cut out of school. But that is a place where they meet their friends. So what about the schools? What role does, do the schools have In what role should they have and what can they be doing that they're not doing?
1: Well, it's interesting because so, so many things, if you really stop and think about it, Mari, so many things need to be reformed. You know, we need educational reform because this whole No Child Left Behind program, it hasn't worked. And, in fact, nationwide, and this was happening in California as well as in Mobile, Um, people are more, even in the school systems, their, their jobs are based on their performance as it should be. But what people are doing in in the school system here is that they're dummying up grades in order to, to keep their performance ratings up so that they don't have to worry about being fired. So even then there are things that people can do to get around these kinds of things, but it's, it's a matter of trying to reform a lot of systems, including the educational system, so that, that education becomes more of a priority even for the, the school staff as well as for the kids because kids nowadays, they don't really, they're not interested in education. I see that more and more. They just go to school more than anything else now to socialize. Right. And, 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 there's, there's, and kids that are trying to do well academically are picked on. They get called nerds and, and geeks. And, you know, and even when I was living in Los Angeles, for six and a half years, the word out there was school leaner. If you were doing well in school, you were a school leaner. This was back in, like, 90, 92 to 96 before I left out to, to go out to the desert. Mm-hmm. So. Kids are embarrassed to try to do well. There's some kids that are like, you know, well, basically screw you. You know, I don't care what you think about me. If I want to get an education, you're the one that's going to be the loser, not me, uh, in life, you know, kind of thing. So there's so many dynamics that play into this. And, again, I think this has to do with cultural influences, you know, through music and videos and, and those kinds of things. They see people getting rich quick. Um, gang kids think, you know, once they get into the gang, get involved in the criminal activity, that's self-reinforcing in a lot of ways because you can make money. You can make a lot of money without an education.
0: Hmm. So what, you know, I'm just thinking, like, what needs to be done? Like you said, it's societal, it's cultural. I mean, I see it even from years ago when I taught. I, you know, used to teach high school and I, you know, I was, I really loved my students, and I really, and I had a lot of, I used to teach in the five towns in New York, so four of the towns were really wealthy, and the fifth town was really very low income, and, you know, we had, you know, um, undercover police in the hallways, and here I was in my 20s in those years, and um, I remember there was security in the halls, and the, the kids would go into the bathroom, and they'd get hit up you know, for money from the lower income area. But, right. and, and as a newer teacher in those years, I had, to, I got the kids from the lower income because you know you got the kids that nobody else wanted because you're not tenured yet. So, um right. but I, I actually did really well with them basically because I did as you do, which I, you know, was very positive with them. I always positive reinforcement. I had fun. I played games. I did all sorts of things to make the, the class really a fun class. So I got, I, didn't have the kinds of problems that that other classes had. Right. But, you know, I'm thinking even then society was different. That was like, you know, in, in the late seventies, and even then we, we had gangs. They had those things going on there. You know, what what really is the answer? Well, te- that-
1: I think technology in so many ways has advanced us, but in some ways it has cursed us because we have so many more, so many other things that are self-absorbing that take our attention away from the fact that we are all interconnected, whether we recognize it or not, you know, and and when, once we lose that that sense of interdependency, then I think it's easier for people to become so individualized in their own way of thinking that they're not like, hey, I don't need anybody else, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. As long as I'm happy, then it doesn't really matter what, you know, what impact that has on other people. I think that's part of the problem in a sense but but, but on think- the other
0: hand but on the other hand you know it's funny because you say that on one hand you're thinking well oh, you're so individualized but on the other hand you've got all the social networking that right. has taken over that there there instead of these real relationships everything is done through the texting and the email and the social networking you know whether you're on Facebook or MySpace or whatever it is right. that now you have 500 million friends <laughs> That you're supposed, you know, that you're suddenly socially connected to everybody, but it's such a pseudo connection.
1: But I think that that's opened up an opportunity for kids to become more competitive with each other in the sense of who can be on top and who can be the best and, you know, the most liked and all those kinds of things because kids nowadays are horribly cruel to each other. I mean, it's just outrageous what they do, and there are no limits to what they'll do to humiliate someone. And they can Um, do
0: it on the internet. Anonymously, which gives them even yes. more power.
1: Well, and even parents can do that anonymously yes. you pretend to be a kid, you know, and you cause people to commit suicide. Because exactly. I, I actually
0: met to. the mother yes. Yeah. I actually me met say, the mother yeah. of the child that did commit suicide because of the neighbor who had a daughter who was yeah, who pretended to be a boy and then broke up with her. Yeah. I mean it was a yeah. horrible, horrible thing. Yep. It's it's a scary time I think in society. I mean, I I hate to be—I'm such an optimist. I I really hate to talk like this, but it it just gets me more down and out when I think about this. It isn't just, you know, the lower-income kids that are getting targeted, although they probably are at the bottom of the, you know, of the heap.
1: (laughs) Well, and what I'm trying to do through the Liberating Youth Project. is to to try to eventually once I can get that up and running and it's going to happen i don 't know when, but I think it's it's getting closer all the time to becoming a reality, but I want to start trying to take fifteen to twenty kids out of the low income areas long enough to help them get an education get some 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 at least soft job skills, and get them into either trade school or into college and it's it's going to be Small efforts initially that will grow exponentially by sending, giving these kids skills and hope for the future that they wouldn't find if they strictly stay within their communities, but then they can go back into their communities and hopefully begin to inspire others. We're talking about... Several years that has, have come into play in terms of building up to where we are now, I think it's going to pay, take a couple of decades and maybe a generation or two before we get to the point where we really can begin to see an impact in terms of inspiring kids, especially low-income kids and families to want to do better uh, rather than accept the sort of poverty mentality or this multi-generational process of poverty poverty you know that kind of keeps them locked into that with no without any real way to see their way out of it it's it's i think it's going to take whi- a while but starting off small and letting that kind of grow into a national movement
0: well i think also the great work that you're doing and when you do have these kids that are successful if somehow they want to go and help other kids to be successful. I mean, not just, right. you know, not go out and then make a fortune and, you know, get their Jaguar and then forget about everybody else. Right, but, right, that's true. But, you know, I mean, it would be really neat to say, okay, now look what you, you have been empowered as a person. You've come a long way. How can we build this so something that you can be abundant and prosperous and, and help other kids, you know? I mean, right. can you know, at least even on a voluntary basis or, or make it part of, your nonprofit, to these kids that were successful, that did make it out for them to empower others, because they get it. They get exactly, it. Exactly,
1: exactly. And see, one of the other programs that I have that ties into everything that I'm doing is a project. I, have, I haven't even set it up as a website yet, but I have all the program descriptions copyrighted. Uh, but it's called I Am We Are Central. And it's based in spirituality, not in religion, but it's the idea of trying to find it rather than looking at it or using things that divide us to try to find things from a moral, uh, spiritual values kind of, kind of concept that we can all try to come together to solve problems that way. Not, not saying that any – and I'm literally trying to keep all religion out of it. But look at just simply the, the the common factors that we all share in terms of a belief in a in a god of some kind, but all the ideas of interconnectedness and universality and those kinds of things that that that's part of the psyche dash soul ology book that I have because it's the soul and the mind that we have to address in terms of working with people in general, especially with kids when you know especially in the field of psychology and other other things that we do professionally as well. But I think that kind of overlay. As the kids in the Liberating Youth Program, they would not be going to church or to synagogue or to a mosque or whatever or to a temple. They would just simply be participating in something that would become a business for the Liberating Youth Project to sustain the program and also expose them to the right kinds of values, to literally sit down together as a group and as a nation and and on an international basis to begin to look at the problems that we all face, and to find common ground where we can come together and find solutions, and sort in terms of, of resolving those issues, it's a very powerful thing. It's something I've been working on for a long time as well, but it all ties into this very same thing, and would give these kids exposure to, to, to ideas that they have never even encountered, uh, chances, chances are, in, in their lives ever. So, and may not, you know, depending on what what they're exposed to. And,
0: and I think it's really wonderful. How and how do you get them to? How do you outreach to the kids like that in, in at in a higher consciousness level? You're, you're really well, looking at it. When,
1: when I was working with the gang kids in California, I find that a lot of these kids are extremely intelligent. That was one of the most amazing things to me ever. Because I would tell them, look at the skills you have in the streets, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, "If you're dealing drugs, if you're selling whatever you're selling, you know, you've got a customer base. You know how to to recruit uh, other salespeople. You know how to to guarantee your turf and your you know your your sales territory." Um, you know how to keep your customer base. You know how to advertise. You know how to manage your money. It's just all these kinds of things that I would help kids. Look, you know, tell kids these are valuable skills that you have that you've acquired in the streets that you just simply need to turn in a more positive direction to avoid getting locked up or being killed or disabled because of the way you're, you know, the criminal activity you're involved in. And kids get that, you know. And once you present to them that you know, because like, a lot of people make them think that they're worthless,
0: right. that you're right.
1: nothing. And by telling them, no, you have value, and I firmly, for me personally, I believe that the energy that is us is God in us. I don't believe in good and evil, right or wrong kind of stuff. Because if you think about it, the energy that we use to screw up is the exact same energy that we use to do what's right. And by telling kids that, they would get that. Right. They, would, they, they would then understand that there's something innately, in, in a, within us anyway, that, that, that drives us, that motivates us. And we either ignore the, the, the goodness part of that and make wrong choices, or we decide that we want to take a different path and start doing the right things. And these kids were interested in it from a spiritual standpoint much more than they were interested in it from a religious standpoint. Right. Because I tell people, I don't care what your beliefs are, these are the basic premises that I think we all need to adhere to. And it's things like altruism, unconditional love and acceptance. You know, uh, just, you know, loving your neighbors, yourself kind of thing. And, 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 being and the careful. need to be
0: loved, you know, yeah. I mean, being I, careful
1: to serve rather than to abuse and, 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 and neglect people. I mean, it's just, it's very simple kinds of things, but there's a whole list of things that I have that I want to address, you know, using that kind of approach in a non-threatening, non-religious kind of way, but just basically pure pure spirituality. And the kids really got that. They love talking with me about things on that level. It was really kind of an amazing thing to be able to do.
0: You know, David, I have a great idea for you. Why don't you take a bunch of these kids that you're doing this with and talking about the issues that you're talking about, about, okay, when you're in a gang, you have these skills, you know, you're very empowered, you're a great leader, you're an organizer, all, you right. know, all the skills you're talking about. And sit down and do that on video and put that up on YouTube.
1: That's true. I hadn't thought about that.
0: You know, have the kids talk about that. You know, like yeah, I what, what a are... They?
1: a Center for Spiritual Living here uh, in Mobile. Yeah. and we have a <laughs> I belong to one here.
0: Yeah, I belong and to that she here. has
1: her own, her own program where we would be able to, to put together a video like that. That would be real easy to do.
0: Yeah, just have the kids get together and do a brainstorming with them like that. Okay, so, sure. you know, all right, what are the skills that you have? Why Why is your gang so powerful? Why is your gang so successful? Why does your gang get so many kids to join? I mean, that is like, what is the reason why kids join gangs? Because they want to belong, because they feel empowered, because they feel right. good about themselves, because they feel loved by their other members.
1: Well, they get to prove themselves to someone that they think cares about them when, when in fact, they really don't. <laughs>
0: Well, they're just using they, them, they do. Know? Well, they care about them in the w- best way that they know how. You no, I'm know? talking
1: about as far as the leaders of the gangs. All oh. they, all they're doing is like using these kids.
0: Right, right. But but they're exhibiting their skills of power and talent right. and yeah. and organization and leadership and all that stuff. So, I mean, it just seems to me with everything going up on YouTube, if you had one of these things where kids are talking and they're all excited about these kinds of things and they really get it, you put it up on YouTube and then you, you know. That's how you spread the word. I think that's better than just even on a website that no one's going to find.
1: Well, I'll have to be a little bit creative with that because I found any kind of group activity with juvenile offenders or gang kids, it just never worked. So I'll have to play um, with that a little bit. But that's a great idea. Um, I might be able to get kids to sort of um, act it out with me, but it would be it would be have to something have to be somewhat, to be somewhat staged. Uh, not with maybe with people not that that that's or, what's been done, but but it e- could be done easily.
0: Either that, or you or you kind of blur out their faces. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean?
1: Just, they'll, they'll respond to an educational group, and that might be a way to have a camera in the background and, and me doing the presentation where you can hear what they're saying, but at the same time not real, you know, who they are. Kind right, of have was, the anonymity.
0: Yeah, I think if you had the anonymity of it where sure. they're wearing masks sure. or they, they blot out their faces or something mm-hmm. where they can, but something where they could really say what they want to say, though, I think that would be great because coming from you, it you know, as a, person who is an of, of the other generation, even though you you, you know you have the respect, it, it's different when it comes from their own mouths, and you know that. Exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're speaking today with a, a wonderful psychologist, uh, David L. Robertson, PhD, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, and we've been talking about his two books and the impact of it. And the first one is at the Mercy of Externals, Righting Wrongs, and Protecting Kids and psychology and it's about your soul and being inspiring and inspirational approach to appreciating and understanding troubled kids. I mean, don't you think in our society we just really need to appreciate and understand each other? I mean, I here I am. I'm um, an attorney mediator. I do everything I can to help people to resolve conflict without letting it escalate to litigation. So, I mean, I see this even at the adult level, the same kind of stuff you're talking about lack of respect, lack of understanding. Right. This is at the adult level itself.
1: Right. That's true. That's true. It's all over the place. And I think that's part of the problem as well, because it's not just kids, but a lot of young adults and even parents are are modeling the wrong kinds of behaviors as well.
0: Yep. I mean, we have to have a whole new way of thinking because the kids are watching what we're doing. And, and yep. you can't tell your child, do as I say but not as I do because it's so incongruent there it just doesn't work right
1: well and it and it never did but we didn't have there was no way when I, when I was young especially that I could challenge that without getting you know slapped across the face kind of thing, you know. So things have changed, but you're right. The kids are set more savvy. They're more sophisticated than we give them credit for. And like I said earlier, they have a right to speak their mind as long as they do so appropriately and within, you know, in respect to and regard for adults that they're talking to relative to their to their positions in their lives as well. So
0: well, it there are many like- things
1: that we can do, but we just got to get started doing the right things.
0: Right. So we don't have much time, believe it or not. We could have talked forever about this. But um, mm-hmm. I would like you to give your website and uh, your various websites so that people can go and learn more. And, of course, we'll link on our, our website as well. And then we're going to have to go.
1: Okay. The websites are DavidORobertsPhD.org and prokidsinc.org. And it's been a pleasure being on the show. And I really do thank you, um, Maury, for allowing me this opportunity.
0: Well, David, we'll have people go to your website, and maybe you can just invite people to join in with you and maybe help you out in any way that they can, and and uh, you never know. Just get sure, it going. Sure, I'd be glad to
1: discuss this with anyone that needs an order for any additional information.
0: Right. You know, when you join together, you never know what kind of power that you're going to have, and I, I'd love to see that YouTube when you get it up. I think it'll be yeah. great.
1: Yeah, that's well, true. I well, appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. All right, Maury. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been Bye-bye. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Maury Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI. Also, visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy where you can see our upcoming guests. You can learn about them, more about them, looking at their bio And you can look at our archived interviews. You can listen right there at the archived interviews. You can download our podcast. So when you're out running and exercising, you can listen to all this exciting stuff that people are talking about, about information age. And most of all, we would love to hear from you. So why don't you write us an email about what's important to you, what you're worried about in the information age. So thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll join us next week. Stay private.